0: Now he is your
1: host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper, and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And it's wonderful to be back with you again for uh, yet another week. Um, I uh, wanted just to um, thank my guest last week, Wukash um, Briski, um, who was the first guest I think I've had on the show from Poland. And we were talking about developing international teams. And uh, thank you for, for feedback on that show. It's always lovely when people um, send, send little notes and uh, get a sense of uh, what what they they think about things. So thank you for that. And um, today we've got a, a brilliant conversation, I think. I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Um, we're going to talk about the energy switch with my guest, Peter Kelly de Twiler. And um, I've just been... I'm reading um, Peter's book, and I've been really kind of blown away by this. Is a topic, and um, we're going to be talking about something which uh, you know Peter describes really as one of the probably the, the biggest kind of initiative we've had really globally in the last hundred years. Um, the energy situation is switching, and it's has a, a going to have a big, big impact on our businesses. On our lives and I think we need to understand it. Um, of course we're concerned about the impact on our, our planet today of uh, fossil fuels and energy therefore has become one of the biggest topics in the world. Um, so I'm always eager with this show. The show clearly is about elevating your business, elevating your thinking and I think we need to understand this topic to elevate our thinking and be able to make a, a bigger contribution to the world and there's a personal responsibility here when it comes to energy as well as one about understanding what's going and and enabling us to plan for it. Now Peter uh, Kelly Detweiler has 30 years of experience in the electric energy industry. Um, Much of his career was in in competitive power markets and he's a leading consultant in the electric industry and he provides lots of strategic advice to clients and investors and he helps them to navigate this um, rapid evolution of the electric power grid he's widely uh, written on energy issues i think he said 400 sorry 330 articles for forbes.com and ge um and so he's got lots and lots of um, kind of credit for his uh, written communication his um book is on the transformation of electric power markets the energy switch which was published by prometheus books in june of 2021 so let's have a, let's meet Peter and let's just start to understand um, why this subject is so important is going to impact and is impacting all of us. Um, it's important to for the future of the planet. So a big welcome to Peter. Thank you, Chris. It's a real pleasure to be here. No, you're, very, you're very welcome. Now, Peter, I like to sometimes start with just asking people where they are in the where they are in the world. So whereabouts do you?
2: I work, uh, I'm from the south of Boston in Massachusetts, uh, right along the coast. I live in a little fishing town, and I, I can actually look out and see the port. And, and you've, in our sort of conversations, you've
1: made me feel a little bit, um, a little bit jealous because um, you have a, you have a pastime in the morning, uh, typically before work, which uh, I, I can't think of anything I'd probably rather do uh before work but tell, tell us what it is that you do to get yourself in a
2: an energetic uh, was talking about energy state and uh, fit for the rest of the day sure i used to be a competitive rower in college and uh, now i have an ocean going shell and so i spend about three times a week i spend about two hours every morning going backwards as fast as i can which is a metaphor for my existence uh and i fish so i chase these striped bass which range in size from as short as 16 inches to the biggest one i've ever caught is 46 inches and maybe upwards of 30 pounds wow. and just chase them all around these bays so, so does that one that 30
1: pounder did that tow your boat
2: oh yeah it, you yeah. move through the water at the pace of a slow walk for yeah. maybe three or four three to five minutes yeah
1: yeah yeah well, it must be it must be a lovely spell do that in the morning and um do you do you um do you have a,
2: a family in uh, in Massachusetts and area? Do you? Uh... I do. I I have a wife here. She's um, uh, she helps uh, clients uh, as I with counseling. And then I have a son who's just moved back. We're helping him to move into Boston this afternoon, where he and his girlfriend will be uh, staying. And then I have another son and his husband down in Buenos Aires in Argentina.
1: Oh, fantastic. So. So tell tell me, I'm, I'm kind of int- intrigued. You know, did you, as, as a child, did you decide that uh, at some point you wanted to become an energy consultant, an expert in the, <laughs> the, the, the grid? Was it, was this something that um, you, you discussed with your, your your friends when you were playing toy soldiers or whatever you were doing?
2: No, I was always <laughs> interested in the in the concept of limits. Of you know how big. Could population grow? How much could we use? I remember as a kid watching all these cars going into Boston thinking, well, maybe we could hook them up to some kind of a chairlift type of device with one simple single engine that could pull us all in more cheaply and efficiently. So I was always playing with those sorts of things. But I ended up being a German major because I'd spent a year as an exchange student. And then uh, after I hitchhiked through Africa, leaving college, uh, I ended up going to grad school and uh, developing economics. So I worked in Mogadishu's Ministry of Finance for a couple months. And I worked in Ghana for a year with Catholic Relief Services. And I was a year on the road in 10 countries with Catholic Relief Services, counting bags of rice and auditing books, Rwanda, Burundi, Haiti, Honduras, et cetera. And then my wife and I were in Ghana for a year. And then it was a difficult pregnancy, which worked out fine. But I sort of fell backwards into energy because a friend was working in it. And I pretty soon started working for the Cree Indians of of Northern Quebec, uh, fighting a large hydro project, and then just learned as I went along. So, so, so it sounds sounds like
1: you've got a you know quite a kind of noble heart as well. If you're you know you're helping people like like the Indians there fighting against a hydro project, and it sounds very you know very um, worthy work you were doing in Africa as well. Is that is that a driver for you about um, you know helping people to also do good?
2: Well, I kind of think you have one shot to go around in this world and um so in that sense maybe our job ultimately is to tell the best story of our lives that we possibly can and so for me and for my wife as well i was always attracted to what were those causes that could potentially help make the world you know better place when i leave it than it was when i got there now with some limited success but that's the general goal (laughs) <laughs> and you, you've written this
1: this this book, The Energy Switch, and you know I'm I'm, I'm I think this is an important book actually, uh, and I'm glad you've written it. I'm glad I'm having the opportunity to read it. Um, what makes you the perfect person to to write the book? <laughs>
2: well, that's <laughs> a very that is a very arguable statement <laughs> because you could argue there are a lot of people that really know you know electrical engineers and others that know the grid and and a lot of the Detailed nuances around that, the science, the physics, et cetera. And, and there are certainly writers that are far better than I, uh, countless numbers of them. Um, but there aren't actually that many people, surprisingly, that know how the grid works and also know how to communicate it to multiple levels. And people told me, Pete, if you have a secret power or superpower, it's your ability to take really complex stuff and communicate it to folks at a cocktail party. Yes. Right? so that it's accessible. And I, I after I'd written oh, the first couple hundred articles for Forbes, interviewed the CEO of IKEA, why was was in the climate march, the CEO of all these battery companies and solar companies and so on, people started saying, well, when are you going to write the book? And I was like, eh. Uh, but then I, thought, then I thought about it and then I actually got an agent finally after a couple of years of really a haphazard and half-hearted effort there. And once I got the agent, then I was in, right? Then she found the publisher. Okay, now you're totally committed. And about halfway through, though, Chris, I remember being in front of the computer typing and going, What am I doing? I'm a German major and a development economist, and I'm writing a book about the transformation of the grid. And then I kind of looked around and said, Well, I don't see a book like that out there. I don't see anyone else trying to do something accessible like this. Yeah, there are technical texts and some really good ones. So I thought, all right, let's keep going. And then the beauty of it was I got to interview all these people, and because I'd written all the Forbes articles, I went on LinkedIn, and I said to this community, okay, help keep me from stepping in it. Who wants the subject matter expert review every one of my 15 chapters? I had like 30 reviewers that volunteered to take my Word document chapters and rip them apart. Oh, Pete, you've described fluid dynamics incorrectly. Here's the right phrasing for that. Or, you know, a software expert, here's how you might want to change your, your discussion around cybersecurity. And so at some point, the book was no longer mine in my effort. It was this much more collective story of us, like, what are we doing in the space? And that became, I mean, all the faults are still mine, but then it became a lot easier because we were carrying the burden rather than just me feeling like I was. yeah
1: yeah well that sounds very collaborative and uh it it is i mean just thinking about you know wikipedia and and uh a lot of a lot of uh software and things that have been collaboratively developed they are far better for that collaboration aren't they so it i, I think it's really encouraging that you've had so many people ripping them apart for you and uh, uh and ensuring you know, ensuring that there's the best possible book because it's, it's it is an important subject. So, so well done on that. I, I think um, we should also mention. I think it's Wendy Keller, isn't? Who's your agent? Is that? Yeah, she's fantastic. Isn't she? Is, she's she is so much fun to work. With. She is brilliant. <laughs> I, so I want to. I wanted to mention Wendy because uh, Wendy. I think. I think uh, Wendy would. We, we 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 became friends over the years, and uh, actually somebody I admire, and um, and the fact she said you need to interview Peter. Um, you know, I I knew I needed to interview you before we'd even uh we'd even met, but she was right. Um so this is great. So tell me, let's go into the book. Um, because I I in the first chapter you talk about Brayton Point, And uh I just thought that was the way you describe that um quite beautifully uh to me. You know, I suggested that you know that you you observing Brayton Point at a particular point in time, which you're going to share in a moment. Um, I, I felt that kind of you know set a, a new dawning for you in terms of a, a realization and you know being physically present to, to a significant change that's happening in the world. Tell us about that because I think
2: it's it was an interesting way to start the book. Yeah, Brayton Point is just this fabulous set piece to explain what's going on. So, this is a 1600 megawatt coal plant. It was one of the largest emitters of pollution in New England, one of the 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 dirty 5. And it, it had been burning coal for years and years and years um down in southeastern Massachusetts right near the industrial town of Fall River on a 307 acre 307 acre site. And then when fracking came along, natural gas got cheaper. So It shut down burning coal, but switched to natural gas. Now, when you're burning fuel, you've got to cool your power plants. So this thing was sucking a billion gallons of water out of the local bay a day. And the EPA said, oh, it can't do that. It was once through cooling. So then they went to evaporative cooling, which is a more efficient use of water. But what does that mean? It means you build these massive cooling towers like we're used to seeing outside of nuclear Mm. plants. So they built these two... 500 foot cooling towers that cost $570 million. This company, the owner, Dominion. And so they built these enormous structures. They're kind of graceful looking. I got to walk inside them at one point a year prior to the event we'll talk about. And a company, uh, well, they eventually shut down Brayton Point because they couldn't compete. Um, Actually, it was coal. They shut it down because it couldn't compete against natural gas. And so now you have this defunct coal plant. 307 acre site on the water with a 700 foot long wharf, 34 foot deep channel. And meantime, you've got this multi-billion dollar offshore wind industry gearing up to emulate what's happening in the North Sea Mm -hmm. and Massachusetts and other states making these commitments for 30,000 megawatts of offshore wind, which would be the equivalent of like 15 nuclear plants with dual units. So, so this company buys this site and They And I'm telling the story about how it's going to be transformed into this wind logistics center. And they invite me in April of a couple of years ago on a boat on a windy day to get on this ferry. And we drive down. And at 8 o'clock in the morning, there's this puffs of black smoke at the bottom of these towers. And all of a sudden, the towers collapse. Within, say, five seconds, this 500-foot-tall twin behemoths, $570 million, collapse into this pile of rubble. And dust that wafts across the bay and everyone kind of goes, oh, you know, that Mm. collective gasp when you see something like that. And so here's this huge investment, only in service five years, gone in five seconds. And now what happens? It becomes the likely staging ground for a whole new industry, which will connect to the, the interconnection that which formerly hosted the coal plant. And so this massive transformation takes place in a very short period of time. And this old coal plant is emblematic of that whole transition that is now occurring globally across the planet.
1: Yeah, and and, and that's, um, I think in the, in the book, it, it wasn't the only one. I mean, there's been a, a, a lot of these that have also been, was it, was it
2: over 500, something like that? Oh, we've been, uh, pushing, we've been pushing coal plants out of yeah. the equation. I mean, China's sort of the last to go, but the US, the UK, Europe, we've been pushing coal off the table all over the place. Um, partly because the plants aren't economic and partly because they emit twice as much CO2 as a natural gas plant. Uh, And we simply can't afford to keep them operating anymore in a carbon constrained world where the uh, IPCC is saying, look, if we wanna keep this temperature at the 1.5 degrees centigrade Goldilocks temperature we need for humanity and the species we cohabit the planet with to thrive, we can't continue to burn coal and all, all the other hydrocarbons we're combusting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really um, hit home for me in December two thousand nineteen. I was working in um, in Konya in Turkey, and uh, and my I didn't realize it, it was a week before Christmas. Um, I was and my family were expecting me home, and then the plane was delayed uh, uh, for several days, and, um, and and apparently I didn't. The hotel said to me, "Well, it happens here regularly," and I think the the issue. Of, um, of this kind of smog which came down, because I could taste it, and uh, and and Turkey, but burns um, people burn in their homes. They burn coal, and and I think this um, this smog is a residue from burning coal. And you forget until you go into an environment like that. You know how how damaging it is. You know I could hardly hardly breathe. I was coughing, and my chest was sore, um, and I had to stay there for you know two or three more days before I could eventually get a flight out. And it just made me realise, you know, how I think we're now 1.6% of our fuel energy comes from uh, coal in this country. And and the air is pretty clear compared to what I remember as a child. Um, You know, you you forget the impact, don't you? Um, But the world in many places is clearing up.
2: Yes, and the particulates are the worst part of coal, those really small things that lodge in your lungs and then get yeah. straight into your bloodstream, and, and those are a really nasty element of coal plants. A lot have been filtered out in certain places, but certainly not a lot of the world. So right. coal helped us get where we are as an advanced economy, but now it's time for coal to exit the stage.
1: Excellent. Well, after the break, we'll find out a bit more about the kind of scope of the book and, and uh, you know, what are the elements that are really important that we – that we understand uh, in terms of uh, organizations and and also as individuals and one of the things that we need to need to appreciate because uh, the world is changing and uh, in this in this particular area and it's gonna it's gonna, it's gonna accelerate because it needs to so we're back with you again in just a, a couple of minutes so do join us after the break
2: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here Voice America Business Network.
0: facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Peter Kelly-Detweiler. We're talking about the energy switch. And, and Peter, can you, can you share with us, with us um, you know, the scope of your book? Um, it's called um, energy. We seem to be talking quite a bit about electricity, um, but what what is the scope of uh, of the energy switch? Uh, and uh, and also, I, I guess you know why you know why is it so critical that as businesses and, under- and individuals we all
2: understand what's going on and what's coming up? Sure, um, the book principally deals with electricity, but the interesting thing is. Um, the electricity sector is about to expand and push into new frontiers. Let's mm-hmm. take transportation, for example. Right now, we're starting to see countries like Norway sell 80% of their new vehicles being electric, right? And you see companies like VW that just announced that uh, of its 144,000 ID3s that had sold through the end of last month, of the buyers, 50% were new to the brand right? So, so, and this is all now electricity jumping into and pushing petroleum out of the way. Yes. And and so, electri- and, and then the next thing that happens is in the cleaning up of the steel sector and cement, probably hydrogen comes into the game. And how do we make hydrogen? Through electrolysis, green, wind, and solar assets, taking water and splitting it into hydrogen and oxygen. And then on that, that hydrogen essentially being used in the industrial sector, so you can argue electricity now pushes into steel making and cement manufacturing, so ultimately, electron takes over the world and in an energy sense over the next, say, 30 years, 40 yeah. years, right? So you start with what's happening in the grid today and then you start to project forward and go, okay, what are these future trends and how are they likely to, to evolve and what are the business cases and technologies? Now, why does that matter to the individual? Go back to Brayton Point, that coal plant that retired and that huge investment that was lost. The pace of change is accelerating, partly because we can't argue with atmospheric chemistry. It's gonna be what it's gonna be, and we have to deal with these climate issues, but partly because uh, money is shifting, Reinsurance companies and insurance companies won't insure new coal plants. They're starting to look at gas and understand risks there. Um, More and more companies are facing this sort of social permission or social license to operate. That is, they have to be good corporate citizens. So you're seeing many, many companies, the Googles, the Microsofts, many, many others, the GMs and so on lining up and saying, we're gonna buy green electricity. And by such and such a date, we will be carbon neutral. And so it starts with the big companies making those proclamations and then society holding their feet to the fire. And then it starts to trickle down. And even in that space where folks are making the green purchases, now you're starting to see many more smaller companies doing it. You're seeing more companies thinking about how do I electrify my vehicle fleet? You're seeing companies being asked by their workers, oh, I have an electric vehicle. Can I charge it at the workplace? Yes. Um, Or if you're... 7-Eleven or some convenience store, you're starting to have people ask, well, can I charge my electric vehicle when I go into the store and get my eggs and my bread and so on? So, this transformation, first of all, starts in these faraway places that don't seem to have any impact on us, and then they accelerate really fast. So, just Mm -hmm. to give you an example, Australia now has over 2 million homes with solar rooftops, right? Two million homes. Brilliant. And there are now housing developments that I just saw an announcement this morning from a company I profiled for Forbes. You can get a new house in Australia and in development by uh, solar panels on the roof and a battery that's in your laundry room. And then you never pay the utility. Mm. They, you, pay, you pay an upfront cost to these guys, you pay them a monthly subscription fee, and then they handle your power bill. And so there's lots of different ways this is now starting to manifest itself in the world, whether it's people driving EVs or putting batteries in their basements or solar on the rooftop or companies buying green. And then the other critical piece is, as weather gets worse, and we've seen this in spades here in the United States with a winter storm in Texas that killed hundreds and took the grid out for days, Hurricane Ida, which took up the Louisiana and New Orleans utilities poles and, and towers much more destruction than they'd ever seen in the past. You see the utilities in California having to shut down utility service because of wildfires. And then you see like the floods we saw in Germany and these other extreme relatively infrequent events in the past, now occurring all the time. What does this mean for an electricity consumer, a business? It means their power supply is at risk in ways it wasn't a decade ago. In fact, I just did a consulting assignment last week with a very large restaurant chain, 2,300 restaurants here in the US, looking at physical risks across the United States and market volatilities to help them figure out how do we position ourselves for the next decade or coming decades? More, if you own a business, you can't not be thinking about the climate uh, conundrum and climate question right now, and how it will <clears> impact your business because it will affect everybody.
1: Yeah, and uh, I guess it's, you know, right now, I mean, just just thinking about, you know, I'm in the UK, and you know, we people listen to this this show, these interviews in over 50 countries each month. So you know, wherever you are in the world, you know, you'll have a different story to tell. But we've um, we've got issues with. Um, with uh with gas supplies at the moment mm-hmm. we've got it. we've got um four courts without um, without fuel because we've not got enough drivers to deliver them yeah. we've got um where whereas only 12 months ago it was like wow that's an electric car now you see them every day uh it this this is this is happening quickly isn't it we've got huge um um wind turbine farms yeah. out to sea being being built um i think each one i was hearing will we, we'll, we'll be able to provide um, electricity for three and a half thousand homes for the year.
2: Um, it's a lot, a lot going on, isn't there? A lot going on. Yes. And if you put it in perspective 10 years ago, these industries didn't exist. No. I mean, they were so small, they didn't matter. And now, yeah, now the turbines are so big. One revolution powers your house for a day, right? Yeah. And that's today's turbine. Orsted, the Danish company, just talked about a turbine twice the size of the ones that we have today. So this blade is twice the length of a football pitch, right? So, yeah. I mean, the, the technology coming into play is extraordinary and supercomputers are helping to accelerate that process because at the end of the day, it's all about material science. It's better molecules, better stuff, you know? So, so the thinking is that the financial flows start to move in this direction and accelerate because the op- it's not only risk, it's opportunity. We're, 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 there are some estimates, that to get to 1.5 degrees or hold to that by 2050 we're talking a hundred trillion dollars worth of investments you don't want to be on the wrong side of that no and is that is that globally or just in the us yes, globally, yep, globally. 100, 100 yeah 100 trillion that's yeah huge, isn't it? yeah i mean i've seen estimates of 55 trillion you yeah, between 55, what's the difference between 55 trillion and 100 trillion? I mean, you know, whatever. Right? <laughs> but the number is ginormous. <laughs> however, however you think about it, it is huge. And so the opportunity, I was interviewing the CEO, again, for a Forbes piece, Han Armstrong, the CEO, and he said, this will be the greatest opportunity in our lifetimes to either amass fortunes or incinerate capital because yeah. the transformation will occur so quickly. And there are going to be a lot of people left stranded gasping on that beach because they made the wrong bets.
1: Yeah, well, I, 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 you also, throwing not to me. This is probably a, a for, for people individually and, and, and company-wide, um, you know, a good direct direction in
2: terms of where to invest your money. Well, I'll say personally, I have an outsized amount of my investment portfolio in these companies, probably because, After I've interviewed a CEO of a company and I've waited the appropriate time, I've got a good sense of what their business model and how they think. And then it's a bet on individual X or Y, right? And so, you know, I've got money across in batteries and solar and hydrogen and electric vehicle companies and not too much in any one place. You don't want to put all your bets on one place on the table. You want to bet on the table.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. So um, you have to read through your book for clues then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so your your book can actually directly impact your wealth <laughs> perhaps not <laughs> just give you a better understanding of um of, of electricity um so do you feel i mean do you feel um hopeful that we can that we can make these changes globally that we need to that obviously there's a lot a lot happening but a, a lot needs to happen doesn't it to Hit those kind of numbers, and, and now, it's I mean it's almost as though we're, we're you know we're getting these wildfires and these these um, incidents around the globe to um, to let us know that this is really happening. We're kind of serious now.
2: Um, do you do you feel do you feel hopeful about this? Or, well, yeah, there's a couple of pieces to that. So first of all, if we were to stop everything today stop emitting more co2 and ch4 and the methane we'd still see worsening conditions because yeah. you have this you know cumulative impact right so so there's so, so there's some challenges there around how do you reverse this flywheel um, and some people are actually talking about negative not just net zero but negative carbon to, to draw down some of what we've already added to the atmosphere because we're already in an unstable place and right now the trajectory is getting a lot worse, and so the International Energy Agency, the IEA, says we're going to have to redouble our our efforts and triple what we're doing today or more to to hold that 1.5-degree target we're trying to attain. So that's the the challenging side of it, right? That's the side that can give one, if you want to be a pessimist, cause for unrelenting despair. But if you also… and and also the fact that there are still so many people that don't get it or that they'll do whatever they can to say, well, it's this, it's that. It's not really CO2 that's causing this. It's these sunspot cycles or X or Y or Z when the correlations look pretty clear to the average person who's paying attention. Um, But at the same time, there's huge grounds for optimism because, as I mentioned, you know, the the industries supporting this are only a decade old. We didn't have a viable electric vehicle 10 years ago or an at-scale wind farm. Wind and solar now deliver electricity into the grid far cheaper than a new natural gas plant or an existing coal or nuclear plant. They don't pay anything for fuel, right? So now, yes, they're variable, they produce at certain times, but now batteries are getting cheaper and now we have the, the march towards hydrogen and then there's other technologies like this one I'm, I'm interviewing, interview the CEO Energy Vault. They lift and lower massive 35-ton bricks made of soil and an emulsifier uh, or an epoxy and essentially they absorb and release power from the grid there are other companies like Highview, uh, which is in the uk they liquefy air and when it expands it expands 700 times and spins a turbine and they can store energy for 10 hours 12 hours longer right so if you every time we look into the toolkit to see what we have we open up the box and the tools are shinier they're more powerful they're more cost effective the business models are getting refined more money's flowing into the space Entrepreneurs. I mean, Elon Musk is emblematic of the whole thing. He starts it, then GM says, oh, we're going to double down. Ford announces last week, oh, we're going to spend over $5 billion in Blue Oval City. Sounds like something out of The Wizard of Oz. It's a six-mile square campus they're going to build on just for EVs. GM says, oh, we're going to spend money on a battery innovation center. China's announcing a new gigafactory battery factory on the cadence of one a week right now. One of their companies announced last week that as of September 30th, they had swapped out batteries for 4 million swaps. Cars drive in, into a box, unscrew the battery, screw the next one on. The company that owns Volvo, Geely? They say they're going to put 5,000 charging stations into China. Drivers will drive into the box. The battery will be popped out. A new one slid in under one minute, right? Mm. So the tech just keeps getting better and better, right? It's astonishing what's going on out there. We have to marshal our forces and accelerate it, but the pieces of the puzzle are all capable of being assembled. We just have to do it.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I'm... yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's it's fascinating. I'm here at the moment. Probably electric vehicles. To have an electric vehicle, you need to be f- pretty well off. Or, or, now. or, or it's now, now, right now. Yeah. Um. I think they're quite a bit more ex- testers are quite a lot more expensive in the UK than I believe in the United States. Um, but we um, but you can see it. You know, the, the other the other challenge is distance as well, isn't it? But it's gonna, it's you know, the distance is going to
2: improve, and I guess the cost is going to come down with the the volume. So oh yeah, battery costs are falling dramatically. And just to give you one example, that Tesla Model 3, their low-end car, still expensive. In China, the battery in that car is lithium iron phosphate. So no cobalt, right? And those batteries a couple of years ago could give you 3,000 cycles, charge discharge charge discharge. Now, the same chemistry can give you 7,000 cycles. So, and if you're bad, you know, so, so basically now you almost have the capability for a million miles of distance on that car over its lifetime because yeah. of the cycling capability. And, and that just gets better. I mean, the the amount of announcements coming around around new battery chem, the thing that's interesting is like coal, natural gas, those are mature technologies. They've sort of flatlined in terms of their ability to approve, improve wind, solar, batteries, fuel cells. Those are still very infant technologies with all kinds of technological improvement opportunities and supply chain efficiencies too, right? So yeah. those two things together conspire to lower costs and make those things shinier every time you open up the toolkit.
1: Yeah. Uh, how do? How do? Um, how the? Oh, I think we're nearly out of time. No, I got a couple of minutes. How, how do the? Um, you know, i'm thinking i'm thinking sort of in, in parallel to kind of hotels so you know hot, hotels have got bricks and mortar and and you know airbnb comes along and uh and basically competes with bricks and mortar by um allowing people to rent out the spaces in their own homes and uh, and suddenly the you know the, the model changes for all of these um traditional um power companies you've got infrastructure like uh, you know coal-powered fire station uh, sorry coal-powered stations etc how how are they they adapting when they've got all of this infrastructure um that is um it, you know it's probably still
2: costing them money well some of it has been fully um depreciated and yeah. paid for by ratepayers um The interesting dynamic is you have these centralized stuff, these centralized coal plants, and even centralized large offshore wind farms and that sort of thing. But then you have the other side of the equation, which is people with solar on their rooftops and batteries in their homes. And so there's this Mm -hmm. interesting tension in terms of the model. And also now more and more, customers able to have the water heaters and their batteries and their EV chargers aggregated in those services sold back into the grid, whether it's Octopus doing it in the UK with Tesla or what we're seeing here in, in the United States or Sonnen working with other companies in Australia. So, the utilities are in the situation where they're seeing huge opportunities selling to EVs, the electric vehicles, because that could increase their overall consumption by 30%. But at the same time, they're seeing all these customers now saying, well, I want to have control over my own destiny, especially with outages, put batteries in my basement or garage and solar on my roof. And so how this really unfolds is is very unclear but there's a lot of turmoil out there right now
1: I can imagine there is so we're going to go to commercial break again now and we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes we'll continue the conversation and and get even more of a sense about how can we we all kind of contribute to this um, these trends that are happening now these very important um, changes and developments Um, so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes do join us after the break
0: facilitated leader development workshops and speeches email info at be to arrange a free no obligation consultation to see how chris and his team can help you
2: have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy
0: You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at
1: chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. We're talking about the energy switch with Peter Kelly Detweiler. Peter, um, you furnished me with—I'll be honest here—you you furnished me with a brilliant question uh, during our little, little break. So I'm going to give you give you the credit for it, uh, and I'm going to ask it because I thought it was um, it was it was excellent. And the question was, um, what is it? Uh, what will a day in the life of the grid and um, a customer look like in ten years' time? That's a great question.
2: Jesus, was a hard one to answer. I don't know why I gave it to you, <laughs> but. <laughs> Okay. Only one person to um, blame. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so here's here's what that probably looks like. All right, so you still have you have. Let's assume no coal in the grid because we already have that situation in the UK, and we're trying to push it out in most places. All right, so you've got a grid now that's dominated by wind and solar resources, and a bunch of storage, and then a whole lot of assets in the customer premise. Right. So in the morning. Uh, before people wake up, demand is relatively low. You might have some gas fired units. Wind is certainly a nighttime phenomenon in many places. So you've got a bunch of wind feeding in, a little bit of gas. People wake up, turn on their alarm, uh, watch TV, make their tea in the UK, make coffee in the United States, and demand starts to increase. But so does the sunshine because the sun comes up at the same time. And so now the, the existing gas plants that we're still following that load, following demand, they start to reduce their consumption. And then more and more solar comes into the grid as the sun rises in the sky and you've got offshore wind still kicking in, but there's variability. So what happens then? How do we deal with the fact that these resources are variable? Well, there are prices in some markets every five minutes, sending signals to all the assets on the grid. There will be big batteries, huge batteries and other resources out there that take these prices and go, oh, here's a great opportunity. Prices just went really, really low because there's lots of solar power. I'm going to charge up right now because I know in the evening when the sun goes down, society is going to need more electricity. So Then I'll release power back into the grid. I can get it really cheap. I can probably double my economic return if I sell it in the evening. Meantime, you've got all the solar on people's rooftops plus the utility scale stuff you have your electric vehicles charging up. They're charging during the middle of the day because it's cheap to charge in the daytime. When people drive home at night, they don't do it today, but 10 years from now, those vehicles will know what's the price of power. And they'll also know how far is that customer likely to drive tomorrow. And if the customer opts in, that battery in the car, because it's just a battery on wheels, will sell power back to the grid and get paid for that, right? And, and then all the assets, your water heaters in your homes, they're just big thermal batteries that hold water in an insulated tank. They'll know when to warm up that water so that you have your showers at the appropriate time. Now you need the right grid architecture for this. You need the right signals and you need all these if then statements. But to give you an example of something that's happening today in the port of Rotterdam, there are roughly 30 industrial and commercial customers there. And last October, In this thing they call a microgrid, where there's some generation locally and some storage locally and solar on the rooftop, and then all these end uses. They, over the course of a month, with all the end-using devices that know what's going on, transacted 30 million transactions in this tiny port of Rotterdam, all tracked by blockchain, right? With these, if then, if the price does this, my asset responds in this way. So What you have then is this massive Exchange of data. This could be potentially one of the do- largest interactions of data in, the, in any industry because if you think about it, you need to know the what, the where because location matters, where you're trying to deliver the power, what are physical constraints, the when, the how long, and the how much, how many kilowatts did you give in for how long? So At the end of the day, yes, there are physical activities going on across the grid, but then you have to track it all with GIS and know the what, the when, the where, the how much, how long, and how much it's worth, and then compensate everybody as a consequence. It becomes this enormous real-time market where all these assets are looking at the grid, how much is coming in from wind and solar, and then what the batteries and everything else need to do. It becomes this enormous, really complex dance with the opportunity to improve the efficiencies enormously. Today, our grid is sized so that if we could cut the top 1% of total demand, those days when we really need power for air conditioning, et cetera, we could cut our overall infrastructure investments by about 8%. So if we can make all those assets respond more efficiently, that provides the opportunity. That's all gravy. That's, That's money that can be spent elsewhere. And if we could take the top, say, 10%, 10%, we could cut costs by 25%. So there's a huge wow. opportunity to make the grid more efficient by creating this symphony of responsive assets.
1: Wow. So there's this whole whole piece about um, sort of the the the, 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 in, the, the infrastructure and the, and the mix of it to be able to deliver the value that we need in terms of the energy um, from a... In ways that don't pollute, but there's also the, a massive
2: opportunity for
1: efficiencies through through things like big data and technology.
2: Yeah, absolutely. With the customer participating in either reducing their costs or sometimes even making money, it's yeah. called transactive energy. Is is the phrase for it?
1: Yeah. So, so, so I mean, that's really interesting. Just just putting um, thinking about the consumer at the moment. Should we be? You know, should we, be, we all be, at the moment, looking to, if we can afford to, invest in technology like solar panels, like electric cars, like um, you know different heating systems? And in my country, you need insulation because it's, uh, it can be pretty chilly at times. Should we, should, should we all be taking a personal responsibility to play our part in this? And if so, where should we focus our attention? Because uh, it can be a bit
2: sure. Uh, the first place always is to start with energy efficiency. And it's usually lighting and you know, there, there's there's a, a ladder, there's a hierarchy of benefit cost investments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first thing is if you still have an incandescent light for, for goodness sakes, get yeah, rid get of it. That's of it. just yep. a heater masquerading as a light source and yeah. you know switch over to LEDs. But <laughs> yeah, and then it's things really- like you know, insulation typically you do that when you're going to do a build a new home or you're doing a major rehab because it's. I wouldn't propose that we should go with and pull down your three paintings behind you, Chris, and, and tear open your wall to re insulate. That's not probably cost effective.
1: Well, my, but, my, um, child, my, child, my house is
2: 1865.
1: So we have, a, yeah. we, have we tend to have older, house, some older houses over here than. So, uh, you know, yeah. that, you know, my house is, a, is quite a challenge actually in terms yeah. of
2: insulation. Yeah. Yeah, my old one was too. It was built in 1742. Oh, and it yeah. had wow. seaweed. Yes, yeah, seaweed because I'm in a coastal town, so yeah. they pulled seaweed from the shore and packed that into the into the rafters and everything. <laughs> so, um, okay. so anything has a better R value than seaweed. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly the thing is to look at what's your energy bill. Consultants can help. Um, solar certainly in, in areas can be cost effective depending upon what your avoided costs are, how much you're paying for power, what kind of subsidies you're getting, that sort of thing. Companies like IKEA now sell solar in many places around multiple countries, for example. You could walk into IKEA and buy your solar panels. Really? Um, yeah, you can. Yeah. And more and more vendors are selling batteries as well. Now, granted, um, they're usually for people who have more access to capital, but third-party financing is becoming Ubiquitous for a lot of this. In fact, in the states in the beginning, solar was way too expensive. Third-party financiers jumped in, and in some states, eighty percent of solar that was on rooftops for a couple of years was all financed by third parties, so the people didn't have those cash outlays. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it depends obviously on one's income level and what your avoided costs are. Businesses are a great place for this to be done because it, be d- it can be done at scale, whether it's with fleets. And people know how to spreadsheet stuff in businesses in different ways. The one thing businesses don't do well, though, is they look for for investments with a three-year payback period. The rest of their business, they're happy with, you know, a 20% or an 18% rate of return. But for some reason, with efficiency investments, they like this 30-plus percent rate of return. So they leave money on the floor all the time, and which doesn't make any sense. But one's the operating side of the business, and the other one is just. You know is is what they focus on every day their profit and loss for the core thing that they do so the operating part is facilities management usually gets the short shrift of the budget and they shouldn't because it all mm-hmm. drops to the bottom line
1: mm-hmm.
2: so yeah there's a fair amount because of all the tech out there one last thing i would say about it if you look at it and the answer is close to being yes but still a no come back next year and look again because with the way the prices have been falling, except for this short-term commodity challenge we're in right now, it's been an ineluctable declining in prices. Solar has fallen 90% over the last decade. Wind, 70%. Batteries fell 50% just over two years recently. So if the answer is no today, it's like kids who ask you if you can have an ice cream and you say no, and they come back five minutes later and you say no, and then finally you relent. Mm -hmm. Same sort of thing here, except it's about prices.
1: Yeah, yeah, wow. So we've just got a few minutes left till the end of our interview. And I'm kind of inter- interested in, um, you know, who you've got, you've got a massive amount of experience in this area. Who who are your, your sort of ideal clients when it comes to your, your own business? And what, what are the kind of things you do for
2: them? So my ideal clients are, there's two consulting assignments I really love. One I just had, for example, with a, a company that said, we want you to do a 15-page white paper on this sector because we're interested and we think we see investment opportunities here. So give us a sense of what this looks like. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the, the restaurant company that asked me to assess risk. I love figuring those things out. The other thing I absolutely love is look, it's I've been in this industry 30 years and on this recent journey in the last decade to try and figure out all these pieces, and I broke my teeth over it, Chris. I had so many aha moments, and then, in the writing of the book, found out even more things I didn't know I didn't know. So I love clients who say, look, you've spent the last 10 years trying to figure this out. Can you help us realign our neurons, our way of thinking about this, so we can short-circuit that learning process and get up to speed rather than having to do it ourselves, because we never could. It takes too much time. So those are my favorite clients. I got an assignment where I had to, where I did a workshop. I had the opportunity to do a four-hour workshop for 175 people in a company, even the accountants and folks not on the front lines, to explain to them how the old industry works and why what they do matters. And I love teaching about the why. People care more about the why than almost anything but their salary and maybe their title in the company right? At the end of the day, people want to make a difference. And so when you explain to them what's going on, how they fit into this transition, for me, that's a dream assignment because then people go, oh, I get it. I understand this and I know where I fit.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Fantastic. Fantastic. I I can see a lot of people uh, could really benefit from that right now because uh, uh, understanding this and uh, and getting a sense of what it's really about is, uh, is, is so important. And I think we, you've, you know, you've really helped me do that today, actually. I think you've given me, you've given me some hope that, uh, that things are moving at a pace. You know, we, we, you see it at a local level. We don't necessarily think about it nationally or internationally. Um, and uh, you've helped me understand some of the different um, technologies. And, and, and I love that, um, that question about, you know, what might life be like in 10 years? I've not even you know, thought about this whole area of big data. And how important that's going to be. There's a massive um, opportunity in that area, and I was lovely. I I just cycle with a friend this morning. He's um, he's my ex accountant actually, and his son's now got a job involved with big data, Uh, and uh, and and that was something it wasn't available. I don't think when I was uh, was going left university. So the the world is really really changing. Have you got
2: a final message that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, you know this thing that we're looking at, this transformation is really exciting. It's also daunting, it's huge and it's complex and it's critically important. I loved when Boris Johnson, your prime minister said that the world is not a a toy to be trifled with or some Mm. phrase he said like that at the UN. And and at the end of the day, we have an opportunity to get in front of this thing and to treat it with a sense of abundance uh, and focus on equity for those who've been left behind, we have a chance to remake our energy economy in new ways. And that's that's a moral call to action. At the end of the day, what we do now, um, we, we we do it out of the profit self-motive, but but we also have to be driven by love for generations of people we will never know yes, yes. who either will be grateful to us for having stepped out in front of us moving dynamic and done something about it or curse us with despair because we didn't have the wisdom... To do what needed to be done at this critical juncture in our human development and so that's, that's the choice we make today and tomorrow not only with the things we buy and how we behave but also how we vote and in fact all of our human interactions this is a yeah. slow motion unfolding story that is perhaps more critical than any other story humanity has ever told peter that was absolutely brilliant i've loved talking to you today it's
1: been completely fascinating um so you know, if you want to find out more um about uh, about peter go to peter go and buy the energy switch i think it's a must read um if you're if you're interested in this area of sustainability you're interested in understanding what's going on in this area for your business for yourself i think it's a must read peter thanks so much for joining us today
2: Oh, it my absolute pleasure
1: to be here. Thank you, Chris, and thanks for Wendy for such a great recommendation. And on next week's show, we have Brandon Hatton. Brandon is a he's a wealth management um, expert from, and he works with he works with, um, he works with uh, families actually who have uh, um, have some wealth to kind of invest and do it in a in a very kind of sustainable and. Uh, An ethical way Um, so we're going to talk about that next week uh, which leads on nicely we'll talk a little bit about investment opportunity perhaps in this uh, this area too so do if you've got any questions or comments send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk and once again peter it's been an absolute pleasure
2: thank you
0: we thank you for listening to the chris cooper business elevation show